I don't know how many of you have been watching the, the global news, but uh, Africa is experiencing what's being called a biblical plague of locusts. Have you seen this? Yeah. You guys are going to Africa, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> uh, it's the worst uh, locust plague that they've seen in over 25 years. It's interesting. It's cyclical. It happens. But can you imagine walking down the uh, beautiful flower path and having that rise up at you? Now, that's happening all over the eastern part of Africa itself. These insects are coming into places like a wall of destruction, eating everything green in their path. Somalia, Kenya, Ethiopia, those eastern countries. It's significant because why? They're just south of Israel. And often Israel gets hit with these locust plagues as well. If the Apostle Peter were living today, if this was happening in Israel today, as it has in time past, Peter might say, this is that, pointing back into the Scriptures. The prophet Joel wrote during the 9th century BCE, prior to the Assyrian invasion and captivity of the northern tribes of Israel. His writing is very short. It's only three chapters. In the first chapter, he describes a devastating plague of locusts that would come upon the land of Israel. They would eat everything to the extent that even the cattle would be moaning with hunger pains. The priests would be mourning because there's no grapes for the drink offering. There's no grain for the grain offerings. There's no animals that fit the Levitical description for them to even sacrifice for blood sacrifices. Everything stopped. Now, for us today, we have to really think about that. But in essence, what we're saying in our vernacular is they couldn't go to church anymore. They couldn't worship God the way that God had laid out for them to worship Him. Does that make sense? So this wasn't just a bunch of bugs that showed up and ate your garden. This was devastating to the community as they, as they connected to God. And that's what Joel's trying to help them to understand. Every tree is leafless. It's like winter. The appearance of death in the summer, alas, Joel says, for the day of the Lord is near. It's a day of judgment for the rebellious, idolatrous sin of Israel. It's a natural disaster that precludes or symbolizes the physical and spiritual devastation that, are going, that is going to come upon the invasion of the Assyrian army. But there's something wonderful about God's character, and that is He keeps His promises. He keeps His covenant that He has with Israel itself. In the middle of chapter 2, God tells his people, all is not lost. At some point, he will judge the Assyrians and push them out of the land. And the people will once again know that God is in Israel. It is his land. They are his people. And afterward, God will pour out his spirit on all people. When did that happen? Well, historically, we know when God pushed the Assyrians out. We've got that recorded in history when the Babylonians actually came in and pushed everybody out. But when did the pouring of the Spirit happen? When did that happen? 
We don't have any record of that taking place. It didn't happen in Joel's lifetime. It didn't happen in Daniel's or Ezekiel's or Zephaniah's or Zechariah's or Malachi's. It didn't happen in any of the recorded Old Testament narrative. Does that make sense? My question to you ever is this. Does God keep his promises? He does keep his promises. It has to do with the timing issue. God's purposes are greater than our our, our purposes. Isaiah talks about that. His plans are greater than our plans. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. We don't understand often what God is doing. All we know is that God gave us a promise. And as children, we think, well, that means tomorrow. God promised we could go. Mom and dad promised we could go to Disney World. We're going tomorrow. Do your little kids say that? That's their time frame. They think that's mom and dad make a promise and that means it's coming, well, tomorrow. It's coming very soon. That, that doesn't work with God. God has this amazing plan that he has laid out for us. And we have to be patient and watch uh, for the right timing uh, when God shows up and actually answers prayer. Well, 800 years later, church, 800 years later, and something comes to pass. It's the promise in Joel, and it's in our text today in Acts. I'm going to have you turn there with me, please. Acts chapter 2, if you would, please, beginning in verse 12. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Peter and the other followers of Jesus were in the upper room when a divine wind filled the place, and tongues of fire landed upon each one and all were given the gift, the spiritual gift of speaking in known languages that they did not know for the purpose of witnessing the great wonders of God, which no doubt included the death, the burial, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and all the things that he did while he was here on earth. And while some were receptive or at least open to the message, others were not. That's just the nature of our world. Being religious does not equate with being open to the things of the Holy Spirit. We have to be aware of that. Notice, for example, what was said in verses 12 and 13. Amazed and perplexed, right after this event, they asked one another. These are the people that heard their, these wonders in their own language from, from men and women who, from all appearances, were uneducated, who didn't have the ability to do this because they were from the north. They said, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? See, it wasn't just about the message itself. It was about the manner of the message. It was about the timing of the message. It was about what is going on here. They saw behind what was taking place. Verse 13, some, however, did what, church? They mocked or they made fun of them and they said, they've had a little bit uh, too much to drink this morning, church. They've had too much wine. In other words, instead of pressing in and trying to find out what was really happening, it was easier for some to conclude that these people were just simply drunk. But notice Peter's response. Peter is probably in the temple at this point. They probably moved on because the crowd is 
has gathered and they needed a place where they could accommodate that, which was not very far from where they were. And it says in 14 and down through 16, then Peter stood up with the 11. So the apostles, that was those who were given divine authority, stood up together. And Peter, as the, the lead, the spokesman, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Do you know that sometimes people have to explain the word of God? They have to explain the prophetic word because God needs to give divine unction and understanding to individuals because he doesn't give it to others. It doesn't mean that they're less. It doesn't mean that they're lower. It just means that God gives us different abilities and giftings to help each other in the body of Christ. And we're already beginning to see this. That through the apostles, the Holy Spirit is giving them this ability to understand that what this is, was what that was in the Old Testament. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only, what time? It's nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. This, this event is the fulfillment of the promise that was spoken 800 years ago by the prophet Joel. And now Peter's going to have to explain and help the people to understand that. And so he begins to quote that. Peter was acquainted with the prophets, by the way. They were read in the synagogue. In fact, in Israel, Peter's house is a stone's throw from the synagogue. For those of you who've been to Israel. It was very, very close. It was in Peter's backyard, basically. Peter understood the scriptures. He read them. He was in the synagogue daily and would have heard this being read every year. And through the divine movement of the Holy Spirit, he was able to discern that, that he and others had experienced what they had experienced was the fulfillment of that ancient promise. The prophecy comes to his audience, however, in two parts, which is very, very interesting to me. And I want you to see this as we move through this text as well. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says this. Notice the first phrase. It says what, church? In the last days. You need to pay attention to that because it's a different wording than Joel gives to us. And I'll mention that. In the last days, God says, this is Peter speaking now, I will do what? I will pour out. He's, he's speaking and basically quoting Joel. Chapter 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on what type of people? Who? All. All people. That's the change. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Amazing passage of Scripture. There are six wills in these two verses. There's nine overall, three coming up in the latter passages. It also forms what's known as an inclusio. I don't know if you've seen, if you see that in the passage. Notice the first part. God says, I will do what? I will pour out my spirit. Go to the very bottom. What is the last thing that God says in that prophecy? 
I will pour out my spirit. That's an inclusio. That means you have to pay attention to that because it's the most important part of that passage. God is doing something and therefore something else is going to happen. That's the point. So if we step out of the text a little bit, what is, what is Peter and the other 11 apostles trying to communicate? They're trying to communicate something very simple. God is doing something. And that's important because he hasn't been for 400 years. Up until the time of Christ, John the Baptist, God wasn't doing anything. God wasn't speaking. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and we hear the word of the Lord again. And we're wondering, well, what's going to happen now? Is it going to be another 400 years, another 800 years? Jesus is gone. Is God once again stopped speaking to us? And the answer is what? No. In fact, he's doing even a greater work now. He's not just speaking to some people. He's speaking to all people. All people God is now speaking to. That's the significance of this. Joel does not have the phrase up front in the last days. He simply says afterwards. In other words, after the time of judgment, when God's people are back in the land, God is going to be generous with his person, with his Holy Spirit. He's going to pour it out, which is an interesting phrase. It means to pour it out um, in completion. That means he doesn't just do what? He just doesn't splash you a little bit. He does what? Nothing left. Get it all out. It's all out. Everything is available. The whole person of the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you in liberality, in generosity. So it's not just an inkling, not just a little bit, but a, a massive wave of God moving amongst his people. Peter, however, uses the phrase in the last days to indicate that a change has taken place. To indicate the end of something and the start of something new. It's the end of the old covenant, if you would, and the beginning of the new. It's the end of the limited Holy Spirit involvement. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, uh, the phrasing in, uh, in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit came, do you know, upon It came upon people. It didn't come upon everyone. It just came upon certain individuals. What For what purpose? For the purpose of ministry, for the purpose of of mission. It didn't come upon everyone. Notice the change. I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Moses had an amazing statement. Um, When he took the 70 elders up the mountain to Sinai, which is incredible if you read that passage, because it's an invitation to come up as leaders, by the way, and to be in the presence of God, to fellowship with him. It's an amazing thing. Well, when you read the rest of that text, it says, well, a couple guys were missing. (laughs) So what do we do with that? And Moses made this prophetic statement, I wish God would pour out his spirit on every person, that every person would have an invitation to come up and have a relationship with God. I wish everyone had that prophetic statement, by the way, because it's happening in Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. 
Peter is talking about that something is closing out and something is opening up. God's spirit is being poured out on all people who believe and receive Jesus as the prophesied Messiah and the Son of God. In the text, it tells us it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter what social class you are. If you're a servant or if you're a master, if you're an employee or an employer. Don't get caught up, by the way, in the, in the words, the prophetic words, prophecy or visions. If you do, you're going to miss the point. All right. Prophecy comes in two folds. You either foretell or foretell. Do you know the difference between those? Foretelling means what? It means I can tell the, the future. That's a foretelling prophetic gifting. You see that in the book of Acts. We'll see that. We'll see that from a, a demonic perspective, which is interesting, with the young slave girl who was foretelling things. We see this, prophetically speaking, in Agabus, who prophesied that Paul was going to go to Rome bound uh, we see it in Philip's daughters. He had four daughters who were prophetesses who spoke on behalf of God, uh, speaking out something that's going to happen. Agabus predicted earthquakes, those types of things. Fourth telling, however, is the most prominent view of that. And it means that I'm speaking on behalf of church, God, but I'm speaking things that you already know. I'm just speaking to them in new ways. I'm speaking to you in ways of re reminding you of things. So it's not putting an old message, if I could use Jesus' statement, in new wineskin. It's a new message. It's something new. It's a new song, a new word, a new revelation. Putting it in a new package. Does it change who God is? No, it doesn't. But it gives us a fresh idea of who he is. Prophecy, visions. Prophecy and visions, if you put them in the context, they're just simple things that God is showing up and meeting you and giving you a revelation of who he is. Why? So that you can be a witness to other people. That's the, that's the reason. I had a, someone joke with me. They said, you know, I used to see visions. Now I just dream dreams. I don't know if you caught that or not. I used to be young, but now I'm old. An old man just dreaming dreams, all right? God is saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, and all people are going to be able to engage with me in a very intimate way. Is that what, you, you see that? So it's not sp speaking about any particular spiritual gifting. It's talking about that God is coming, and he's going to meet you, every one of you, in a very personal, intimate type of way. And he just chose to use that language to help you with that. All right? They will, because God will, pour out his gift of the Holy Spirit on those who receive and believe in Jesus Christ. But then Peter does something interesting. He could have easily stopped at this point quoting Joel. He didn't need to go any farther than this. This is the point. This is what happened. So why did he keep going? Interesting question, isn't it? Why did Peter keep quoting Joel when he didn't need to? Well, let's take a look at what that was, shall we? Verses 19 and 20. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. When did that happen? 
It didn't. Mm -mm. Ah, not yet. God's promises in Jesus are always what? They are always amen and amen. They're always yes. So is this a promise of God? Absolutely. It is a prophetic word of God saying this is going to happen. And I think Peter includes it because it's the same thing that happened with the prior generation. They received the promise from God and part of it was fulfilled and part of it wasn't. But the part that wasn't, is that still going to be fulfilled? Absolutely it is. And Peter is saying, this is that. It's the fulfillment of Joel. It's the thing that they were waiting for and they never got to see, but it happened in our lifetime. Praise Jesus. But I want to give you two more verses to keep thinking about. Because that hasn't happened. You know what? It might be 800 years before it does. In fact, we know it's been 2,000 years since that promise was made. Is it nonetheless not is it nonetheless true though, church? It is. That's for us. That verse is for us. It says, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you. Wonderful. I have this amazing gift. Great. Now what am I going to do with the second part of what Peter said? I'm going to hold on to it just like the people of Joel did and hope and pray that it shows up in my lifetime. When God shows up, this great and glorious day of the Lord, I'm hoping I'm out of here by the time that happens. But it's anyways. All right. Peter's saying that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the first part. The second part is going to happen, but we don't know. We need to be patient with it because God, once again, is going to use those two verses in the appropriate time of fulfillment when God needs to bring that to pass for whatever generation that might be. I happen to think it's in our generation, by the way. And this was the warning that Peter gave to his, his generation, and that is, take heed. Joel finishes this, and Peter brings up this last verse, by the way, which is encouraging. I color-coded it uh, because it splits out things for me visually. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, is that a promise? Yeah, it is. It's another promise that God gives to us. We don't have to wait for that one, though. That's a here and now promise. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? It means to recognize who He is, that He's the Son of God sent into this world to die for our sins, our brokenness before God and in our morality, in God's divine justice system. We are broken and we can never make that right with God. That's why Jesus came, so that He could take upon Himself the penalty of our sin, so that in faith, believing and receiving in His finished work, we can have eternal life and be cleansed and forgiven by God our Father. That's what it means to be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just like everyone can receive the Holy Spirit and He can pour out into our lives. It's the same thing, all right? It was a promise in the people, to the people of Joel's day. It was a promise in the day of Peter. And it's a promise to those of us who are here today. I want to just grab some points as we close. Can we do that together? First of all is this. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Because God poured out the Holy Spirit on, little word, all. 
It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. If you call upon the name of the Lord, the Spirit will be poured out towards you. Second, we're still living in the last days. All right? That started, some people believe it started with the ascension of Jesus and the blowing or the breathing of the Holy Spirit in John 20. I'm probably a proponent of that, um, but bless you. But there's also uh, the idea that um, it started here at Pentecost, but it doesn't matter because it's one of those things that started and has kept progressing and it will progress until Jesus Christ comes back. That's the, so we're still living in the last days. My question is this, can I still expect an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Now, there's some people that believe that this was an, a one-off thing. They think it happened at Pentecost, it started the church, and that God doesn't do this anymore. Um, Deb and I both came out of faith traditions where I know we believed in the Trinity, but we never talked about the Holy Spirit. We just never did. It was all about Jesus, which is a great thing. But Jesus is in heaven, and God gave me another gift. Jesus said it, another comforter, another guide, someone to bring me to a place where I can be more like Jesus, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. And so we've, in many traditions, we neglect the Holy Spirit himself when he's the most present part of the Godhead. He's the one continuing to be poured out on all people. And in our study in Revelation, church, for those of you in my class, for those of you who need to read it, uh, you're going to see another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a, a day when the harvest of God is more than we've ever seen. In fact, John says, I couldn't even count the people that came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? And I want you to think about that. If you believe that we're in the last days and we're in the latter part of the last days, guess what we can expect as followers of Christ? We can expect to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of, in, in such a proportions that we've never seen before in our life. Wouldn't that be happy to see that in Burnville? Something to be in prayer about, church. We're still living in the last days, but we're, we're nearer now than we have before. And I know that's just simply a timing scriptures. Let me give you something that's also very, very practical. In order to, to be a good follower of Christ in the last days, we must do something, church. We must know the scriptures because we have an enemy out there who would love nothing more than to do what? Deceive us. Deceive and he will deceive by miracles. He will deceive by, by God-sounding words, by religion. He's going to deceive. That's his modus operandi. He's what he's doing. And we as Christians, we have to wake up to the fact that we're living in the most ignorant generation of the scriptures that there was. We've got to change that. Because if we don't, then you're going to grab a hold of things that sound like God, but they're far from him. And that's how God, that's how Satan deceives us. Peter heard the scriptures every week at Shabbat. He went to the synagogue and he heard the word of God. He heard it read. He heard it cantered or sung. He heard it um, explained. 
He was faithful to that. So when the time came for the Holy Spirit to show up, Peter was able to say, I know what this is. This is that. And I hope we can do the same as we get into these last days. I hope the signs of the times that we're seeing in the Middle East, I hope that as scripturally knowledgeable people, we can point to Iran and Russia and Turkey and see what's going over there in regards to Israel. We can see what's going on in Libya and Ethiopia and we can say, hmm, is this that? Is this 38, Ezekiel 38 and 39? Is that what this is? Because it seems to be. It seems to be lining up. All those countries are involved in that. I don't know if it is. But at least I know where to go in the Bible to find out. Interesting point as well. Resist coming to fleshly conclusions about the working of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that the Holy Spirit does that in the flesh you immediately want to run and say, I don't know, that's a little weird. That's a little off. I don't know what that is. But there are folks who will see that and immediately turn that off and say that can't be of God because God doesn't work that way. Does that make sense? Well, guess what happened? Peter showed up with 11 guys and spoke in languages that they didn't know. And spoke about the wonders of God. And there were people that showed up and said that they were what? They're drunk. We have to be about asking the question, what is this? See, that's a discernment question, isn't it? Instead of rushing to conclusions about is it of God or not of God, maybe I should hold off on this. I had a dear, dear friend. He was a Greek Orthodox priest in Michigan City, Indiana. <clears throat> it was in the newspapers for months. Uh, there was a statue of the Virgin Mary that he had in his church, and it began to leak oil. Have you heard of those before? <clears throat> Some of them are stigmata-type things. <clears throat> Excuse me, others things that there's holy oil or whatever coming out of, of lifeless things. My mother called me up on that and she said, Dan, is that of God? Guess what my answer was? I don't know. I don't know if it is. What do I do with that? Sometimes I need to refrain from a fleshly conclusion to say, that's not of God. Sometimes I need to wait and I need to ask the spirit of God, the spirit of truth, what is this? Does that make sense? So be careful about that. Um, in Jesus' day, when he did miracles and they were unexplainable, the religious people said, Jesus must be doing that by the power of who? Satan. They didn't stop and say, what is this? They didn't stop and ask and pray to God to give them revelation through the scriptures. That's our, that's our base. What is this? What do I do with this? So this is just a cautionary sentence. Resist coming to fleshly conclusions about the workings of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit comes upon a person in a way that isn't normative for us, but it's normative for them. Does that make sense? 
And instead of judging them and saying that clearly can't be of God, go to the scriptures, seek it out, seek the spirit of truth, pray about it, and ask, what is this, Lord? Ask for discernment. Those are the things that we're after. And all God's people said with me, please. All right. So be careful about that. This is going to be more important than you realize as we move forward to the day of the Lord. Because a lot of miracles are going to start happening. A lot of wonders are going to take place. And instead of rushing to it and saying, oh, this is of God. Oh, oh hold up. Maybe it's not of God. Maybe this is deception. Maybe this is drawing you into something that you're not supposed to be being drawn into. Other things will happen and it will be of God. And instead of saying it's satanic or demonic, back out of that a little bit and seek truth and seek the scriptures and pray about it and let God reveal, is this, is this of you or is this not of you? We need to be patient with that, church. And the last one is this. The invitation is still open. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're not that today, can I call upon you to do that? We are living in some, uh, some tumultuous times and they're going to get worse as Satan is rising up and um, getting after those who follow Jesus. So if you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to encourage you to do that today. It will be the best decision you ever made in your life and it will be the greatest eternal decision that you ever made in your life as well. All right, all God's people said, please. Can we pray? Let's do that. Father, we love you. Thanks for your goodness to us today, for good words that come out of Acts 2. What an amazing event that must have been, Lord, to hear the wonders of God coming out from the, the apostles and the great promise of Joel being fulfilled that you mean I can have the Holy Spirit poured upon me? You mean I can drink of the living water, that I can be washed, that I can be made like Christ because of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Me? And Peter's answer would have been, absolutely. It's God's gift to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for the other words of encouragement, the things that come out of that text that we can pay attention to, that we can be exhorted to, be reminded of, all of those things, Lord, we give you thanks. Most importantly, Lord, we just thank you for those who are here today. And if there is one or two who has never bowed their knee and never said, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died from my sins. I receive your finished work on the cross, that you died for me. I believe that and I receive that. You are my Savior, my God. If they've never done that, it's a simple prayer, Lord. We just pray that for them, that the Holy Spirit would bring them to the point where they would know that truth. We thank you for it. Bless your people today, Lord. Uh, may the pouring out of the Holy Spirit continuously be upon us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said with me, please. Amen. Thank you so very much. You are dismissed. Grab some coffee, donuts. Or if you want some prayer this morning, come on up for whatever reason. We'd love to pray for you.